you want to start it? I- <laughs> <laughs> We're both at the same time. How many, how many months I- into this are we? Um, are we still we'll ever. I don't think we still don't know how to do it. it. Yeah. Um, hi, audience. Uh, Welcome hi back to Salt Limb Storytime, the storytelling mm-hmm. podcast with me, Jess Nani, and my delightful co-villain, oh, that's me. Allison Hillman. Nice. Wait, Jess, if you could be any villain, what would you like? Who who would you be? That's a really hard question. You know, have you seen the movie A Simple Favor? <laughs> I think so. Okay, Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick make out in it, so some good. <gasps> oh, I haven't seen that then. I wouldn't remember okay. that. Well, the character that Blake Lively plays in A Simple Favor would probably be that. Or or the movie Gone Girl. That, like, I'd want to be, like, a, a villain to a single person. Where I'm just torturing a mediocre white man. Mm. So heard that either that or go completely to the opposite angle and go like straight joker mm, mm-hmm. i like no, that i like that idea i like that idea you i don't i actually really have no idea um you know who i could envision for you and please don't mm-hmm. take this as a stereotype <laughs> can i guess <laughs> yeah is this a Kristen Stewart character? No, but that would be incredible. No, it's it's a completely different other way. This was who I thought about saying, and then it seemed like it didn't fit. It felt like I was appropriating other people's cultures. Um, do you remember in the movie Matilda? <laughs> Are you making me miss French ball? Because <laughs> you like <laughs> you like cake, and sometimes you don't mind bowling. <laughs> you know actually it's fair because just the other day i swung a little girl around by her pigtails and yeeted her to the moon so actually <laughs> and you're like you're like buff you've got good sweatshirts <laughs> very sturdy very sturdy indeed um Scottish so roots. ouch ouch but also like i can't fault you for that I almost said her for me. I think that she's an absolute mood. Oh, she's a total mood. She absolutely hates children, which, I mean, I, I, I just so everyone knows, I don't hate children. I actually really like kids, but I think it's funny when they fall down sometimes. That's all. Um, like, let me, sorry. I don't know. I mean, not if they're actually hurt, but like when they like are standing and then they fall on their butt and then they like scream, I'm like, you are literally fine. I don't know. Stuff like that. It just, yeah. It's just so funny. Anyway. Oh, wait, anyway. just real fast. I There were a couple unpopular opinions I remember that I wanted to share with you. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, um, I forgot one of them, but probably one of my best ones is that Blues Brothers is the best musical of all time. I'm not familiar, so I can't comment. Well, I need to watch it with you. Um, okay. Isabel, our friend Isabel, who is a musical and theater connoisseur, I made her watch it with me. Because it is, it's the ultimate. I used to watch it with my dad. It's like cars in pileups, the most ridiculous storyline, but the music slaps. It's like blues and jazz, and it has like Aretha Franklin and like all of these legends in it. Anyway, so we need to watch it together. It is one of my all time favorite movies, and it's the best musical of all time. I love it. Okay, what was your other one? Oh, okay. Actually, I remembered it was uh, Justin Timberlake's. Future Sex and Love Sounds album is one of the best albums of all time. Okay, I did know this about you. It is 
my it's it's one of the things it's one of my absolute favorite road trip albums and again me and my friend isabel when we hung out in oregon we listened to that entire album on the way back home from the coast and we were both just singing the entire fucking thing it was so fun and she found that album because i gave her all of my old cds because she has a car without like bluetooth or anything Mm -hmm. and that was in it and she was like oh like i don't know if i want to listen to this and she listened to it and was like this is gold so future sex love sounds is one of the best albums of all time i thank you love this content thank you so much for sharing now that we've had just like an absolutely disorganized whirlwind of an introduction allison how was your week (laughs) great we celebrated my mom's birthday her birthday's not uh until her birthday hasn't happened yet don't freak out her birthday is not until the 15th but we have family come in and we all celebrated on saturday and it was very very nice to have everybody in town my brother drove from up from boise and it was just an absolute delight to have everybody there i made everybody dinner and they all loved it i didn't bomb so it was it was really nice good yay i'm so glad that's so lovely i was gonna say i didn't think her birthday had happened yet and i was feeling very guilty that i didn't remember carrie bell's birthday but don't worry. I, I definitely, of course, would have told you guys, obviously, but not that I would need to. Um, but anyway, yeah, her birthday's on Wednesday on the 15th of June. She's my well, Gemini. By the time that this episode comes out, it will be passed. But happy birthday to Carrie. We love you. My mom's also a Gemini. Cute. My mom's birthday is on the 3rd. Damn. It's like cute. That's very and sweet. It's uh, Brendan's dad's birthday is on the 2nd. Anyway. <laughs> Gemini yeah, babies. Incredible. Wow. I know. Um, what fun. about you? I'm seeing something different on your arm there. I went to Vegas and I got $40 tattoos. <laughs> Each of these tattoos cost me $10, Allison. Tell me, mm. was it a mistake? No. No. Was it intelligent? Probably not. Did I get a tattoo with my future father-in-law? Yes. How many people can <sighs> say that? Not many. It was so fun. I'm really jealous I haven't been able to, like, go feral with you like that yet. Okay, well, we'll go to Vegas. That sounds like a lot of fun, Jess. You sound like you had a great time. Yeah, so Vegas was great. And otherwise, this week was really, really easy, low-key. I do, Allison, I've teased this a little bit, but I have a surprise section for you this week. Mm -hmm. It is a Mm one-time only section on this podcast. And you can choose to keep this in or not. It's up to you as our editor. But Allison, I have a very important question for you that I would like to ask you live on the pod. (laughs) Allison, um, you have been my best girlfriend for a very, very long time. One might say over a decade. (laughs) Would you be interested maybe in like doing the immense honor of being my maid of honor in my wedding (laughs) (laughs) yes i do i do hot (laughs) i would be screaming right now if my mom didn't have a client downstairs (laughs) Tess, i'm crying (laughs) thank thank god because i would have been so upset Like, I would not have been drama, but I would have felt drama. You know? Oh. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure, sure. I guess that'd be cool. You're uh, okay whatever. with that? 
That's yeah, fun. whatever. I can pencil you in. Okay, sounds good. I'm you heard honored. Here. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Y'all heard it here on the podcast first. Allison said yes, so she can't back out now. <laughs> Fuck. I made a commitment. <laughs> uh, well, hot. This Thank you. I'm so excited. <laughs> I love you. I love you too. It's going to be really fun. It's going to be so fun. Oh my gosh. Ew, 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 ew. ew. After Allison collects herself after that heartwarming moment that we just shared, mm-hmm. I'll give us a little rundown of what our episode topic is today because I'm going to be honest, folks. It's a little bit vague and requires some explanation. All right. <laughs> so this week, we're doing Allison and I's villain origin stories. So the premise that we gave each other, because naturally we're 25 and we have to give each other homework, is that we had to identify what event from our childhood or like trigger or whatever would be our villain origin story had we become villains. Now, I don't know what Allison's is. Mine was going to be the 2008 housing crisis, but I decided that that felt a little bit too real considering our current economic state. So I will not be doing that one. But I am so excited to hear, Allison, what would have made you a villain? And I hope you're excited to hear mine because it is out there. I'm going to be honest. Definitely. um, So I kind of have two, (laughs) but I didn't do two. One of them is obviously a, a, a plane crash of some sort, but I was like, I need to not do that right now. So I avoided doing that so that I don't become the plane crash podcaster. And I did my other one. It's not so much that it would have made me a villain, but more it would have, well, it did, it awakened something inside of me. Okay. And it turned me into who I am today cannot wait as a partial lover of disasters but also women this really did something for me here okay okay so without further adieu just allison picture for me if you will a swirling portal in front of you (laughs) a tiny arm reaches through the portal and offers you its hand (laughs) you take it Enter the portal and emerge inside of an elementary school library. The year is 2005. You look around. You are surrounded by 50 children dressed as tin men performing a little song and dance in front of a video camera. You look down at the hand you're holding. It is none other than me, Allison Hillman, a little scarecrow, but of eight years of age. Have you stepped into a fever dream? Perhaps. But most likely, (laughs) you stepped into my elementary school's film production of Emerald City Christmas, for which I was cast as one of the leads. Big Scarecrow's little sister. (laughs) Big Scarecrow's little sister. (laughs) And my older brother, who was in fifth grade at the time, did not play Big Scarecrow. I want everybody to know that. My cheeks are rosy. I am wearing green corduroy pants, a hat that keeps falling off my big head, and I am covered in hay. While you hold my hand, you can sense my impatience for the Tin Men to finish filming. We've been waiting for an eternity, it seems. I look over at my fellow castmates, all making their way towards the couch to sit down and continue waiting. But suddenly, you feel my grip tighten around your hand, (laughs) and I catch my breath. Something has changed inside of me, but you don't know what it is. 
You, f- you look at me and follow my gaze across the room to the wall of children's magazines, one magazine in particular. As if pulled by a force greater than myself, I let go of your hand and drift towards the image of a teenage girl clutching a surfboard with her right arm and smiling into the camera. But yes, her left arm is missing. <laughs> I stare. She stares back. I gingerly pick up this magazine and hold it as if it were a baby. I walk to the couch and sit down, and for the first time in my life, I voluntarily read an article depicting the incredible success story of a teenage girl who lost her arm to a shark attack at the age of 13, only to go on to become one of the best surfers in the world. Jess, this is the unbelievable true story of my very first crush, Bethany Hamilton. I mean this in the anti, mo- the most anti-derogatory way ever. That is the gayest thing I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. Yeah. It, <laughs> like, it was like, when I made eye contact with that magazine, Sex. nothing else in the world except for me and her existed. And I that didn't know incredible. what that feeling was, but I was like, she doesn't have an arm. She's really pretty. I'm like, what, seven, eight years old. She's like this cute 16, 15-year-old, and I'm like obsessed, you know what I mean? hmm hmm Anyway, so with that being said, Jess, I'm about to tell you her story. My sources for this are Bethany Hamilton, Unstoppable, which is her documentary on Netflix, Soul Surfer, a movie made about her that I saw also on Netflix. Um, I didn't really take any facts from that, but I did watch it. It's kind of bad, I'm not going to lie, but it is like, it has like a lot of famous <laughs> actors in it. I will get back to that. Um, I will mention that in a minute, but Can I, I also read an article by Sportscasting um, Bethany Hamilton's timeline on Weebly.com and a couple different articles from CBS. <clears throat> so without further ado, Bethany Hamilton was born on February 8th, 1990 to Tom and Sherry Hamilton. She has two older brothers, Noah and Timothy, and they live on the island of Kauai in Hawaii. Bethany's parents were both competitive surfers growing up and actually met while surfing. It's actually pretty cute. Um, the dad noticed that she was always out surfing before him and was like really good at it. And she noticed that he had a really nice Volkswagen van (laughs) and that's why they started talking and then they ended up getting married and having kids. So they raised their family not too far from the beach. And for them, it was the ultimate dream to be able to surf with their kids. And when Bethany was around six years old, her dad would push her in the waves on the surfboard. And it wasn't actually that long before she could stand on the waves herself. And once all the kids started surfing, the parents bought a brand new video camera and filmed absolutely everything, which is like kind of tacky. But for the purpose of this documentary, it was like super helpful. Oh my gosh. It was like they had literally footage of like her first time catching a wave or for like they had all of her first on camera. They had footage of her just running up and down the beach. So it was like the documentary. I definitely recommend watching it. It is really good. And you get to see a lot of actual footage of her as a kid doing all this shit. So anyway, to keep the family afloat in Hawaii. Thank you. Uh, both of her parents had to work two to three jobs. Bethany 
I spelled her name Bethay. Um, <laughs> Bethany loved going with her mom to deliver magazines because she got to explore the island and surf different spots every day. And by the age of eight, she knew that she wanted to be a professional surfer. Uh, her best friend, Alana Blanchard, recalls her passion for surfing, saying that Bethany was the ringleader and was absolutely fearless. Alana would just follow Bethany wherever she wanted as she tried to catch bigger and bigger waves. And one day, surfing coach Russell Lewis was teaching a lesson when, quote, two little girls came out, did laps around me, catching waves and paddling like demons, end quote. It wasn't long before both of them were on his surfing team. And again, at this point, they're like 9, 10 11 years old like they're really young and they're killing it bethany was a force to be reckoned with she could out paddle most adults and obviously all the boys on her team regardless of how old they were and she even said in the documentary that she remembers beating all the boys out to the waves and she loved it because she would just swim laps around everybody out there And remember, again, she's like 11, okay? And she won every single event she did. And by the age of 12, she was sponsored by the Rib Curl team. She went on to win several more competitions and wowed recruiters worldwide. Oh my gosh. I know. She was awesome. And her future was super bright. And she was fully on her way to being a professional surfer. And when I say she was sponsored by the Rib Curl team, it was like little 12-year-old Bethany next to like 21 through 25-year-old women. Oh my god. Like she was so cute, like signing surfboards and like her cute little kid handwriting next to these perf- it was it was really sweet. Anyway. So her future was seemingly really bright. And however. Da dun. Da dun. Oh god. <laughs> da, yeah. On October 31st, 2003. 13-year-old Bethany went for a morning surf with her best friend Alana, Alana's father, and Alana's brother at Tunnels Beach in Kauai. The morning was calm and the water was crystal clear. Bethany and Alana were floating belly down on their boards in the calm water, and Bethany had her right arm on her board and her left arm dangling freely in the water. Suddenly, a 14-foot tiger shark came out of the water, completely bit off her left arm underneath her shoulder, and swam away. <laughs> just looked like she's gonna vomit. That's just like so crazy. Cause like <clears throat> shark attacks aren't that common. Uh, I probably could have done Shark Week for my <laughs> villain origin story. <laughs> Frankly, I love Shark Week. Me and Taylor Swift have that in common. So what's crazy to me is that like it was like a very peaceful like environment, and then mm-hmm. like they're just it's just such a fluke, crazy accident. No, it was, and that's exactly how she felt too. And also like this, I meant to say at the beginning, shark attacks were my plane crashes before plane crashes were my plane crashes. I watched so much Shark Week and I loved not videos of people getting attacked by sharks, okay, but I love the stories of shark attacks and I love the stories of like people surviving them. And so this is partially where that came from too. Like my obsession with overcoming disasters, like shark attacks were the first one. So I completely get it. Shark Week's the best time of all time. And as we know, Tiger sharks are quite aggressive, and this one was particularly aggressive. And the interesting thing, though, is this attack only lasted, like, two to three seconds. That's what Bethany said, is, like, it just popped up, kind of bit her, shook her a little bit, swallowed her arm, and just swam away. And... Just swallowed her arm and swam away. I mean, 
seems pretty seems pretty mellow if you ask me actually like it was just like bloop blop bye and <laughs> la 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 okay so it bit off her left arm right underneath her shoulder and swam away and here's the thing absolutely nobody saw this happen bethany literally just like looked down into the water and saw it turning red and was calmly like oh i just got attacked by a shark like literally just like that like she didn't yell she was like i just got attacked by a shark and alana's dad paddled over and used his shirt to tie around the wound and they managed to push her board to the shore and when they got there they used a leash as a tourniquet to tie around her arm which ended up saving her life by the time they got to the hospital she had lost 60 percent of her blood and she was in hypervolemic shock wait hypovolemic shock the tourniquet her calm demeanor and her physical fitness were the three biggest reasons that she survived. And again, 13 years old. The bite mark in her board was 15 inches long and eight inches deep, almost half the width of her board. She spent a week in the hospital recovering from her injury, which to be honest, doesn't seem like a lot. Like I would still be in the hospital to this day. Like I just <laughs> never want to leave. That's a really quick turnaround, but I guess like, clean bite clean wound that's kind of what they were saying was that the shark actually like amputated it quite well like they really just had to kind of clean it up and sew it up (laughs) i think she had multiple surgeries but like it didn't mangle it it just kind of just was like and just like i hated that noise i miss funny why did i do that um it just literally like chomped it and bye so like the wound itself was fairly like shark was a surgeon okay that's all i gotta say but i mean the shark did end up getting killed by fishermen um because there was a shark hunt for it because it was like a fairly aggressive tiger shark in a fairly popular swimming area okay that's so fair. Which, yeah, it's fair. So they ended up killing it and actually finding, like, that that was the exact shark because of the surfboard stuff in its teeth. Oh, they actually also found her arm in the stomach, and that should probably be the biggest indicator. That's the most gruesome it's going to get, I promise. But here's the thing. From my time on Shark Week, what I've learned is that that was probably more of, like, a test nibble. Like, it was probably, like, testing the, forgive me, the meat to see if it wanted to eat it. And it probably had a taste and it was just like, tastes like badass surfer with a big future. I think I'm just going to leave it as it was. Cause like she bled out into the water, like, and there's like a whole feeding frenzy. Like the shark could have easily killed her and everybody in the water, but it just kind of swam away. So what I've heard, and please don't quote me on this, this isn't something I'm remembering from being like 13 years old, is that like a shark, the way it doesn't like, like the taste of human flesh particularly i remember a scientist saying that it's almost just like a human eating dog food like you can but it's just not a good time okay this is ringing a bell to me this sounds very Mm -hmm. familiar and so if i'm wrong please tell me but that's what i remember and so the shark probably got a taste was like this there's a tuna over here i'm just gonna go after that instead but in the meantime homegirl almost dies but they get her to the shore in just enough time and so yeah big ass bite mark they catch the shark and kill it and bethany spent a week in the hospital recovering from her injury and she was visited by a lot of friends and family 
And her best friend, Alana, again, who's also 13 and saw this whole thing happen, she was interviewed in this documentary and recalls being so traumatized after seeing her best friend almost die from a shark attack that she, like, literally never wanted to swim again. And But her father and her therapist that she ended up getting because of this incident urged her to try and get back on her board. And eventually she did. But she was plagued by nightmares for years. And to this day, she has a crippling fear of sharks. Like, more so, dare I say, than Bethany herself. Bethany seemed to just kind of like, whatever, like, I'm I'm over it. I'm just going to keep going. But Alana was like, oh, my God. You know, like, yeah. it's different when you see it happen to someone, I feel. Yeah, well, and, like, I feel like there's a level of, like, adrenaline and shock that you can go into that I'm sure that bethany did that kind of blocks out some of that like you know how like pregnant mm-hmm. women for- forget the trauma of giving birth kind of thing <laughs> but then like like people who watch women give birth that don't have the chemical that makes you forget what it's like to give birth like Oof. are very like like my dad when my little brother was born via c-section he said it was like the worst thing he'd ever seen and like my mom <laughs> is just like yeah it's fine she was on painkillers and doesn't remember it. <laughs> she didn't have to, like, see it. Yeah. It's not to say that Bethany didn't suffer because she did. No, but yeah. it was the same thing where, you know, there were even interviews that her family would do. Because, again, they were a video camera family. They filmed everything. And her in the hospital bed, her after her just laying in bed, like, constantly. And there was one point where she was talking to the camera in this documentary, uh, Unstoppable, which I really recommend watching. <clears throat> There was one point where she was talking to the camera and describing a nightmare she had. This was like a few weeks after the accident or the, I guess, the shark attack. And she was like, yeah, in the dream, the shark had me, like, swallowed me from my legs and was chomping on my belly. And her mom was like, well, were were you scared? And she was like, no. And her mom was like, okay, you can be honest. And she was like, it was was like, she basically said, like, it was bad, but it wasn't scary. Like, I didn't like it, you know. But she was never, like, scared. She was just... It happened, and I'm sure she suffered a lot of trauma that, like, she didn't talk about, but her fearlessness and getting back into the ocean is inspiring, and so what kind of helped her do that? Oh, actually, wait, there was one more thing I wanted to say. I just keep talking and, like, straying from my story. So while she was in the hospital, (laughs) again, there was a lot of footage of this. Her dad was filming, and behind the camera, like, she had literally just had her arm bitten off, okay? She was in the hospital bed, and at one point, her dad was in the room filming, and he says, and again, this made, like, national news. Like, people were talking everywhere, and there was news news about it everywhere, and so he said, quote, one of the stories this morning is that you were sure to go professional, end quote, and you can just see her heart breaking in her eyes, and she says, that was pretty much my dream. And, like, gets kind of choked up. And I was literally, like, yelling at the TV. I was like, oh, my God, Dad, shut up. Now is not the fucking time to be saying that. Like, now is not the time to be, like – like, I know that's not what he meant to do. But it was, like, she had all – she can't even fathom what happened to her yet. But she has literally sponsored at the age of 12. And then she had her arm bitten off. Like, it was her – it was shattering to her dreams. And she had no idea what was in front of her. But thankfully – they had a family friend named Mike Coots who had actually been able to help Bethany through it because he had his right leg bitten off by a tiger shark six years before Bethany's attack, but he was able to reteach himself to surf with the prosthetic. And so there's video footage of her visiting her in the hospital 
And he said that that morning he went out surfing and he tried to paddle with just one arm and he said that it was fully possible. And sure enough, just four weeks after the attack, three weeks after she got out of the hospital, Bethany was out in the water on her surfboard trying again with her best friend Alana by her side. Oh my gosh. They both of the girls got back in the water less than a month. Like she still had like it was she was cleared to get her wound wet and that was a cutoff for it. Like she wanted to go right away, but she couldn't get her stitches wet yet. And so Bethany obviously encountered a few problems while surfing, and the biggest of which had to be her trouble duck diving below oncoming waves. Like, you know, that is like where they like take the board and then they dive under waves coming towards them so that they don't get caught up in them. Do you know what I mean? Kind of. It's kind of like if you if you see a wave coming at you, kind of you swim underneath it, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, so that's like duck diving, and usually you have both hands on your board, and you push it under, and you come back up yes. with it. okay. But she couldn't do that because she didn't have her left arm anymore to balance it out. And so her father fashioned her a handle to go in the middle of her board so that she could use her right arm to grip it and successfully dive underneath the waves. And really, that's all she needed because yeah. – This was the key to her success, and in 2005, at the age of 15, she competed in the United States National Under-18 Surf Championships. Oh, my God. And her coach remembers looking around at the crowd, who were all staring at her with confused looks on their faces, wondering what she was doing. Like, is this girl really about to try to compete with one arm in this surfing championship? And a man named Chris Morrow said in the documentary, quote, The moment she paddled out, everybody on the beach was just spellbound. Nobody could fathom paddling out with just one arm and even catching just one wave with one arm and getting up. Nobody thought it was possible. End quote. So when she finally caught that first wave, the audience fucking lost it. They erupted into cheers and they absolutely loved her. And she went on to win first place in that competition and she beat out the previous champion. Oh my god. Let go, girl. With one arm at the age of 15. She swept the fucking floor with them. And she had only been trying for like a year and a half at that point with one arm. So just naturally so gifted and so talented. And so ever since getting back on her board, and especially after winning nationals, Bethany received a lot of media attention. Like, she was interviewed on Oprah, Good Morning America, Ellen, The Today Show. In 2004, she received the Teen Choice Courage Award. Um, She threw the first pitch at a Yankees baseball game. Oh, my gosh. I know. Like, she was on posters, TV shows, and books, and as little Allison well remembers, on magazine covers. After – I know, so cute. And I'm pretty sure the magazine cover I saw was after she had won the 2005 – national championship i'm pretty sure they took a photo of her and put that on magazine i'm pretty sure that's a photo i saw oh my gosh i know so sweet so cute um so and even after the tsunami in 2004 bethany went to thailand and helped the children get over their fear of the ocean she like there's footage of her pushing the little kids through the waves on surfboards and the longer she's in the water the more kids like the more children go out and join her that is incredible. Yeah. So she was just out there transforming lives. Because if anybody can help you get over your fear of the ocean, it's 
it's her, you know? Seriously. And she even went to visit wounded soldiers in Iraq in the hospital. Like, people just could not get enough of her. She, her story was so inspirational. But also remember, like, she was barely a teenager. She was so overwhelmed by all this attention and did not like being known as a shark bite girl mm-hmm. because in her mind, she was a surfer first and foremost, which she yeah. absolutely is. So... Bethany said that her dream after winning nationals was to qualify for world tour. And so her and Alana always wanted to qualify together and they both set out with their team. However, all the fame and media attention really took a toll on her and and affected her performance. And in 2008, at the age of 18, Bethany and Alana were both on the cusp of qualifying for the world tour and even had to compete against each other, which Alana said was really weird feeling. Alana said, quote, I ended up winning and she ended up losing in that heat. I was just like, this isn't how it's supposed to be. It's amazing that we could keep our friendship, but we definitely had to go on different paths. And so Bethany ended up not qualifying by one heat and was absolutely devastated. This is what she said. You work so hard ever since you were eight years old. And then you work so hard with one arm and it's one heat away. End quote. So she remembers that loss making her want to give up on herself. And she was watching her best friends, like all of her childhood friends that she served with growing up, not just not just Alana, but like eight other of her good friends going mm-hmm. off to become professional surfers. And she was just felt like she was being left behind. She said, like, quote, <sighs> I can't help but imagine what I could have accomplished if I hadn't lost my arm. End quote. So not in a good spot, which is fair. Like, she was so close to yeah. winning. And so for a while, she, remember, she's 18 at this point. She took a break from surfing competitively and mostly focused on media and advertising to keep to make enough money to keep afloat. And at the age of 21, the movie Soul Surfer about Bethany's story was released on April 8, 2011, starring Anna Sophia Robb, Helen Hunt, Dennis Quaid, and Carrie Underwood. <laughs> just what a lineup i know that's what i thought i was like carrie underwood was a little out of left field not gonna lie but i'm here for it um so bethany did a lot of travel around the world to promote that movie which again you can watch on netflix and i did it's not the best but it's still really good and i still enjoyed watching it and soon after that at the age of 23 she met and married her husband adam dirks so things were turning up for her. She was still doing well. She just wasn't quite accomplishing what she wanted to. And so with the support of her husband, Bethany wanted to get back into improving her surfing. And she wanted to perfect specifically the aerial trick, which is one of the hardest tricks to accomplish in the surf world. It basically looks like a 360, but you kind of do the first half of it in the air and then you land on top of the wave and continue rotating over it and keep going. So it's like, it's super complicated. I don't know how to describe it, but to accomplish this with one arm is almost impossible because you need that momentum in the twist. But yeah, she seek the help of coach Shane Bestian. And after practicing on the, on a trampoline, she traveled to Bali where she practiced and practiced and practiced and failed over and over again. But after only one week, she did it. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So her next stop was Tahiti. And she so she's just trying to like check off her goals and dreams. And so she did the 360. She's like solid, got it. And now she wants to surf in a huge barreling wave. Those are the ones that curl over you while you surf under it. And that timing has to be perfect. And they're so cool. However, 
after she did this and she did accomplish this, she noticed that she was feeling like really sleepy and tired. Can you guess why? Vertigo? Um, no, she was pregante, actually. Very pregnant. Oh. Mm-hmm. So she was pregnant. And of course, that did not stop our girl. Because four months after finding – and again, this is a theme with me. Badass women who are also pregnant. That was in, like, the Night Witch episode. She was, like, a fucking night bomber. Like, you know, that's what they do. So four months after finding out that she was pregnant, she surfed the Bonsai Pipeline Women's Competition in Oahu, which is the most dangerous wave in the world. But don't worry. She checked to make sure that, like, it would be fine on the baby. And, like, she had doctors, like, you know, make sure. And, like, she knew her body well enough not to overdo it. But still, I was like, girl, go hard. Like, she was showing a little bit. Well, the thing is with pregnancy is they say if you have done the activity previously. So, like, for example, running. If you run all the time before you get pregnant, you're usually pretty safe to continue to run while you're pregnant. Unless Mm. you have any, like, outstanding complications. So, if she was surfing everything every day anyway like her body was used to that and used to that kind of activity mm-hmm. and it adapts like your pregnancy around that no I, that's a women's really good bodies point. yeah dude holy shit like she was growing a person inside of her and she was like surfing the most dangerous wave um but i think the thing that i would be most worried about is you know bailing off a wave and then my surfboard coming and smashing me in the stomach or getting pushed up against rocks because like that kind of impact could like yeah. really harm a pregnancy so uh, i think that Again, just they probably knew a lot of the science about the way you fall, the way the waves would work, the likelihood of that happening. And obviously, she was fine. And one of my favorite things, though, is that in this documentary, there's so much footage of her fully pregnant, surfing the waves, like with a big ass pregnancy belly, just surfing and like kicking ass. It's so cool. It's just the craziest thing. So again, for the eighth time, go watch it. It's really cool. So yeah, she was four months at finding out that she was pregnant, that she surfed this pipeline. And then she continued surfing after and seven weeks after giving birth to her son, uh, to her son Tobias, she was invited to compete in the Lowers Pro Surfing Competition. So she had three and a half months left to train after giving birth. And while her body was ready to compete, her mind was not with her on the ocean, but with her son and husband back on the beach. And so she ended up losing that competition later, but uh, was invited to compete as a wild card in the Fiji Pro Competition. And I didn't really... I don't really understand how serving competitions work, but what I think they could do is like you have all the professionals that are qualified to like go to this competition and then you can invite a wild card, like somebody who also qualifies, but isn't necessarily in the lineup. There's like a couple slots for wild cards. And so I think it's just like to keep everything fresh and clean and fun and just have something like new in there and just see how they do. And so she would keep getting invited back as wild card. And so she kind of bombed this competition unfortunately because she Mm -hmm. couldn't get her mind out of the fact that she was like a nursing mother and like her baby was crying and needed to be fed (laughs) and so after losing the competition she was discouraged but she was later invited to compete as a wild card in the fiji pro competition so since she was a child bethany dreamed of competing in fiji and needless to say she absolutely trained her ass off surfing as much as possible she was doing the thing where they like hold rocks and like run underwater which i don't understand like how do you do that like completely insane stuff and so at this point she's 26 her son is almost one year old and they're headed to fiji 
Okay. Hell yes. Her first heat was against Tyler Wright, the top ranked female surfer in the world, and Bethany beat her by point one points. Oh my god. The top ranked surfer in the world, Bethany beat her. And Tyler Wright said of losing to Bethany, quote, out of everyone I could lose to, I'm okay with it. It was so close. I'm stoked for her. End quote. So like even her competition, like they saw her as real competition, but they also like you can't hate her. Like, that same no. woman was saying, like, the, what she can do with just one arm. I can't even fathom it. Like, I I, I want to know how many of them went out and tried to surf with one arm just to see if they could do it. You know what I mean? Because, like, she was like, I don't – like, it's, it's, it's completely unbelievable what she can do. And so in the next round, Bethany beat six-time world champion Stephanie Gilmore and reached the semifinals of the competition. So – Oh, my God. I know. So her family and friends, including Mike Coot, the guy who lost his leg and helped inspire her to keep surfing back when she was 13, they were all watching her on TV and losing their minds. Like, she said it was like wa- – like, they said it was like watching the Super Bowl. Like, he was in a restaurant just screaming his fucking head off. Yes. Um, yeah. So the last heat of that, he fortunately – she unfortunately did lose – so she lost in the semifinals to uh, the champion Johan Defay from De- from France, and in total she came in third place for the competition. They're surfing in France. Sorry, I guess I mean they're surfing everywhere. It's more of like where you're from, I think. But yeah, there is. I mean, there's a coast on France. So true. Yeah. However, even though she lost, she still beat two of the world's top surfers and got third place. And if not for that last heat that she kind of bombed, she probably would have won. So it's absolutely incredible. And love it. I know. I know. That's why I was in love with her as a child. And so after checking off that enormous achievement, Bethany learned that she had been nominated for Best Female Athlete, which was amazing. She was so excited. But then she saw that it was for Best Female Athlete with a Disability, which... I understand that technically she has a disability, but that's so offensive because, again, she just beat a million able-bodied people, including world champions, and you're giving her that awake. I I just – I have a hard time. Like, And she was offended by that too. And so she actually withdrew her nomination because she never considered herself disabled. And, again, with the amount of asses she just kicked in that competition, they should have just awarded her the – best female athlete mm-hmm. you know what i mean because it wasn't like she, she, anyway so that's my ted talk so she's like beating the besters of all time and after placing third in this competition bethany had one other dream left to accomplish and that was to surf jaws one of the biggest waves in the world these are the waves reaching up to 60 feet off of Hawaii that are so big and so dangerous that only the best can surf them. Not only that, she insisted on paddling into the wave herself instead of being pulled by the wave, instead of being pulled to the wave by a jet ski like most of the surfers. And oh. so the way they would do it, yeah, and so like because you need a lot of speed to be able to like get onto that wave and so usually it was almost like a jet ski thing like they would pull them onto the wave and then they'd let go and then they'd keep surfing it and so other professional surfers have chimed in saying that like yeah it's great like you rode that wave and you got there but you wouldn't have done that without the help of the jet ski or like the guy driving the jet ski and so to be able to paddle in that means that you are in control and you actually did it yeah and so that's what she wanted to do and she said 
Quote, I've heard people comment that it would be so hard with one arm. That comment was sticking in my brain. I don't want it to be my reason for not trying. End quote. And so she did it. She paddled in and surfed some of the biggest waves in the world. I mean, that wasn't without fail. Like, she got pummeled. Pummeled a few times. Like, some of these waves, like 40 to 60 foot waves, would come crashing down on her head. And she'd come out with a smile. And she just kept going until she did it. So... Bethany said that she's always felt like the ocean is a place of healing and reflection for her and a place where she can just be herself. She has always credited her faith in God and helping her to get through the many struggles and trials in her life. She said that God took her arm, but not her passion for surfing, so she never gave up. She is now 32 and living on Kauai with her husband and three sons. She still surfs and competes professionally and to this day is regarded as one of the best and most legendary professional surfers of all time. That is incredible. Oh, my God. Yep. So, and that's the story of my lesbian crash villain origin story and disaster and shark bite and plane crash origin story, kind of, of Bethany Hamilton. I love it. I love it. I love it. That's so cool. Oh, my gosh. Total, total badass, dude. She was. And the whole pregnancy thing, like, there are other pro surfers that were like, I have to wait until I have, until I finish my surfing career to have kids. But she was out there like nursing her baby then getting on a surfboard and then like beating world champs like she she was anyway she was accomplishing things literally nobody else could do with an able body you know holy shit so yeah that's that's so cool uh queen shit yeah queen shit Well, Allison, thank you so much for giving us that rundown of your very first crush, your mm-hmm. very first disaster story, your very yeah. first so many things. It really mm-hmm. it really informs your personality in a lot of ways. And I thank you. so appreciated the insight. <laughs> yeah. Mine is not heartfelt. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> but it's for still fun. For the first fun. time, we've switched spots. I mean, it's still fun. It's just not like ins- inspiring. Sure. I guess sure. maybe it's the right word. I don't know. I don't want to get into inspiration porn, but all right. <sighs> Are you ready? <laughs> I yeah, absolutely. I can't wait. You've teased it a little bit, and I don't know what it is. Allison. Yeah. Have I ever told you about my very first visit to Disneyland? <laughs> no. No? <laughs> uh no, I don't think so. <laughs> Alrighty, well, buckle up. Here's the rundown. When I picture this, mm. when I was a four or five year old, I can't mm-hmm. quite remember how old I was, but you can just picture little Jesse running around. My lovely parents took me to Disneyland to provide me with what every small child wants to be overstimulated by crowds, eat a bunch of candy shaped like a mouse, and meet a princess. Mm. You know? In my case, meeting a princess meant introducing me to Minnie Mouse, who I was obsessed with at the time. There was a costume. If I can find pictures, I will put it on the Instagram. I loved Minnie Mouse in the way that Allison loved Shark Week, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, about the same. I have a very distinct core memory of hugging Minnie Mouse in her, like, little pink house and you can't hug the characters anymore, but, like, I, or this was early 2000s, so I was 
thrilled that I still got to have this experience and I will never forget like standing in line, getting to hug her. It was a whole thing. My mom cried. It was great. So that was all fine and dandy. However, Allison, this trip was accompanied by an experience that is of some infant, like it's kind of an infamous story in the Nani household. And it, went on to shape a key part of my personality moving forward for the next decade or so of my life. And honestly, even beyond if, if we're really like being honest with myself, I'd like to preface before I start the story by saying my mother and father did not mean to traumatize me. (laughs) Mom, if you're listening, it's not your fault. I was perfectly fine until I wasn't. And I hold them no ill will. (laughs) I will go on record saying I hold no ill will towards my parents for this experience. Mm -hmm. Here's the, here's the skinny. So I was a very tall child, which meant I was able to go on rides that normal sized children of my age were not allowed to go on. One such ride was the infamous space mountain. Allison, have you ridden space mountain? Yes. We've met. It's fun. You've met. Okay. Imagine a four year old going on space mountain. It's a lot. That's where it's like you go through the dark, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So now for our friends at home who may not have been to Disneyland before, Space Mountain is an entirely indoor roller coaster. The lights are off as you ride, a projected star show and flashing lights play, along with a very intense like space style music. It's a lot of like tight turns and sudden drops accompanied by the fact that you can't see where you're going. So you have no idea what's coming next. As you can imagine, For a small child, it's a kind of an intense experience, to say the (laughs) least. Add on to this fact that the area where you load and unload, like, onto the actual roller coaster cars is, like, in a sunken room. So, like, the line to get on the ride wraps around, like, a balcony above where you load onto the ride. So it's really, like, echoey and noisy and people, like, you, like, look down at where you're loading and it's, it's, it's a lot. So... Naturally, because I was a very small child, I garnered a lot of attention as my parents loaded me onto Space Mountain. And that was fine. But when we got back after I was like very overstimulated, my soul had left my tiny little body. <laughs> it was not, it was not doing well. So a little more background. My dad really loves Space Mountain. Shout out Cory Nani, friend of the pod. It's his favorite roller coaster ever. When we went to Disneyland a couple months ago, he was like so excited. We waited for two hours in line for it. He loves it. And so it was naturally a very exciting experience for him getting to take his firstborn child on this ride. And I was like game to go because as an oldest daughter, heaven forbid, I don't do what makes my dad happy. (laughs) And so I was like all pumped to have fun with my dad, right? No, wrong, Allison. The moment we entered that dark little room (laughs) and started slinging around, I was like absolutely terrified, but also exhilarated. And by the time we got back to the unloading area, I was so overstimulated and so many people were looking down at me and making a fuss because I was so young. I was like over the absolute fucking edge. I was a wreck. I made a full scene. I embarrassed the crap out of my dad sobbing and of course it's in an echoey room so my own cries are stimulating me even more (laughs) too much so Mm -hmm. we get out of the little area of space mountain 
I, my mom is like, I told you, you shouldn't have taken her on it. It's my father. And from that moment on, I got it in my tiny little brain that roller coasters were the worst thing ever. It was the cause of all human suffering. Even like driving past the lagoon, like lagoon, which is right off the side of the freeway in Utah, I would like get nervous seeing the rides. Like it was the, it was, it was a lot of anxiety for my tiny and then not so tiny body as I grew up. It took me, Allison, until this happened when I was four. It took me until I was 15 years old to get on a roller coaster again. That included trips with my family, where in which they paid to get me into Lagoon, 80 bucks, and I did not ride a single roller coaster. Trips with friends and their parents wouldn't ride a roller coaster, would just go and eat the food at Lagoon. Would not, could not get me on it. When, I, when we were in middle school, we went for a middle school trip, right? Right after Wicked, which is a, a one of the big roller coasters in Lagoon, was built. And all of my friends were like, we have to go on Wicked. We have to go on Wicked. Allison, when I tell you, I'm standing in line. I'm trying to, like, get brave to go on Wicked. And you know what happens? Do you remember this? I don't know if you went to the Lagoon trip in eighth grade. but I did. Do you remember that when... So the way that Wicked works is it shoots you up 60 feet mm-hmm. and then over, like, a very steep, like, vertical drop right after. And it's all done with magnets. It's very cool. But when the car launched up the vertical lift thing, it then went back down. (laughs) It did not make it over the top. So I watched this car of people slide backwards back into where you load. And, like, the roller coaster is built for that. Like, there's safety mechanisms that make that, that, like, make sure that's okay. However, when I tell you, Another traumatizing experience watching a cart full of 14-year-olds scream as they fly backwards. Not it. Did not help my confidence levels. So. Actually, real fast. Sorry. At that same Lagoon trip, that was when it was a little rainy, right? Yes. Me and Ty were hanging out that day. And we were on the Colossus. And the exact same thing happened. And we were, because we were on the roller coaster, though. And we got to the top of the Colossus right before it actually drops you down and it does all the loops. So Colossus was the biggest roller coaster then. We get to the very top. It stalls. We have to – we are just, like, stuck at the very top halfway. Our science teacher, our favorite teacher, is there on the ground watching us. And we are just shrieking at her from <laughs> what is going on and then eventually they get it going but they have to like drop us down backwards and then start us up again we are like we are all going to die but it was funny because that was the exact same day that that happened so apparently i hope that they were just doing it to fuck with middle schoolers because honestly i would do the same thing because oh my gosh that's really funny i had no idea that happened to another ride too but apparently it wasn't maybe it was the rain maybe it was the water i have no clue but all this to say it took me a really long time to go on a roller coaster and I think there was a combination of things, overstimulation from crowds. I don't love crowds. So, like, really, this is just telling on a lot of places. I don't like being out of control, which a roller coaster, you're entirely on the control of a 15-year-old who's gone through a Zoom training on how to press a button. Like, there's a lot of things mm-hmm. that make roller coasters a little nerve-wracking for me. I have since recovered, and I do enjoy roller coasters now, but for a very long time, I was incapable of riding roller coasters. And we'll get into some of these personal stories as I go through. But since we're a Utah-based podcast, I thought it would be fun to go through 
the history of Lagoon, where I have cried <gasps> in many, <laughs> cried in many Lagoon lines while I was forced to ride rides by my father and subsequent by other teenage boys who I was trying to impress. And Lagoon has a very interesting history. Okay, so I was oh like, why not? Yes. So we are going to talk about the history of the of the Lagoon Amusement Park, the seventh oldest amusement park in the world. In the so, world, I actually didn't know that. In the world, we're going to get into it. Yep. All right. I cannot wait. So my sources are lagoonpark.com, the park info history page, the lagoonhistory.com project, which is actually really cool. There's like a lot of pictures. They've like, somebody did a project on the history of Lagoon and compiled like all these historical pictures from people. And it was very, very cool. Obviously the Wikipedia page on Lagoon, a Salt Lake Magazine article titled The History of Lagoon, and the Wikipedia page on the roller coaster, which is colloquially known as the white roller coaster uh, at Lagoon. So are you ready? I'm actually ready. I I have researched this a bit in the past, but I have a couple really amazing stories to add once you get to the- Because there are some very personal stories, not for me, but people I know that I can tell I you that I'm really excited to get. Love to it. Those. This is the this thing. It's going to be so good. Everybody within like the kind of Western Utah, like Colorado, Idaho area have has like been to Lagoon and or knows people that have been to Lagoon. Lagoon has a tiger that was featured on Tiger King, the Netflix original series. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like. Lagoon has some weird, there's some weird stuff happening. So I thought this will be fun. All right, Allison. Lagoon opened in Farmington, Utah on July 12th, 1896 as a resort attraction for passengers on a railroad between what is now Ogden and Salt Lake City. It is the, oh, I was incorrect. My apologies. It is the 25th oldest amusement park in the world, still operating in the same location. It's tied with Blackpool Pleasure Beach in Blackpool, UK and Waldemere Park. Pleasure Beach. Yes, it's a needs a rename, but um, and it's also tied with Waldemere Park in Erie, Pennsylvania. Simon Bamberger, the original owner, named the resort Lagoon after the body of water naturally on the property. The lagoon was originally used as a place for ice harvesting in winter, but Bamberger extended the body of water by draining the nearby swamplands around the area into the size of the lagoon is now. When the park initially opened it included quote bowling elegant dance an elegant dancing pavilion fine music a shady bowery and good restaurants end quote it was less of an amusement park at the time and more of a resort Mm. so in 1899 guests started swimming and rowing boats in the lagoon lake which quick sidebar if you've been to lagoon could you imagine setting foot in that body of water it is all goose poop. All of it. It is all goose poop. It is all. It, it is muddy shit. and it smells. It's like war- it smells warm, which I can't really yes. describe. It smells warm. It's disgusting. Yes. It, it listen. It is a feature. I'm sure it wasn't it as there. bad in the 1800s. I hope so, but it is. It is what it is. So rides were subsequently added, including a miniature railroad and an authentic Herschel Spillman carousel that is still in operation today. The first thrill ride of the park, titled Shoot the Shoots, was added to the lake and allowed guests to ride boats into the lake from the t- from the tip of the top of a tall water slide. Not the most safe thing, but they did it and it was fun. I read an article once claiming that some people drowned while on that ride. I could not find the article again. And this is what's crazy, Allison. 
I have a, we're going to conspiracy theory for a second. So Alice and I, a couple years ago, went on this whole kick of trying to figure out who all had died at Lagoon. Do you remember this night? I remember everything. Yes. Yes. And there was that, there was a web website that went through and named all of the deaths at Lagoon. It was like kind of like an old early 2000s website. I desperately tried to find this website again, Allison. And I think what's happened is either like they didn't pay their like hosting fees or it was scrubbed because a man died at Lagoon last summer. And I bet you there was a lot of SEO like negative stuff because people were Googling man dead at Lagoon and they scrubbed it from the internet. But I do remember what you're talking about actually yeah. because i one there was like a woman that fell out and drowned yes and i don't know if yes. i'm gonna get to this but there was also like another death where a guy got really drunk this sounds like something i do i'm not gonna lie a guy got really drunk climbed through over the gate into lagoon and then just got drunk and just like drowned in the water because yes. he was drunk there were all these drownings that are not listed formally i like even like i spent a decent amount of time trying to Google deaths at Lagoon, and there's only four formally listed. But this website that we found like a couple years ago had way more. So no, I vividly remember this. I completely, right? I completely know what you're talking about. Thank I, you. There were at least like three that one was the Swan Boats, yes. and then one was a guy. At least there was another guy that like drowned because he was drunk. But though, yes, yes, just okay. okay. I know what you're talking about. You're right. Thank you're not you. crazy. So there was drownings that we can't verify, but. In 1921, Lagoon's most famous attraction, the roller coaster, colloquially known as the White Roller Coaster, was designed and, constru- and was designed and constructed by John Miller, who was famous for his Coney Island rides at the time. The roller coaster is the seventh oldest operating roller coaster in the world and the fourth oldest in the country. That's where I was mixed up with. Isn't that crazy? It's the seventh oldest roller coaster in the world, Allison. In the so, holy wait, whoa, wait, wait a second. Holy shit. Yeah. I didn't know about that. It, yeah. I mean, to be fair, when you're on it, you feel like you're on the seventh oldest roller coaster in the world. It's sketch. I know it's your yes. favorite thing on the planet, but I it, love it's that sketch. Ride. I love, I love the white roller coaster. So it's gone by a few names, including the Lagoon Dipper, Silver Coaster, and Giant Coaster. There have been two rider deaths that have been recorded since its opening over a hundred years ago both of which are recorded as human error. So basically both people, one man tried to stand up at the top of the hill and fell off of it. Um, That's why there's a giant sign that says do not stand. And then another woman, she was 13, so I guess she was a child. It was a little girl, yeah. It was a little girl. She was trying to catch air and stretched her legs out in just a way that it made her slip out of the restraints and she fell 35 feet to her death. Her name is not released publicly, that's a story that I wanted to say because I know people who were there and that happened. <gasps> oh my god. So the girl I dated when I got to college, the girl who I dated the longest, you know I'm talking about, name starts with a J. Mm-hmm. She, her family grew up in this area and both of her parents worked at Lagoon in high school and that's actually where they met. And her dad worked, I think, at the ticket counter, and I think her mom worked with one of the rides, but they were both there that day that that little girl fell and died. Holy shit. Yeah, and I wish I could remember more of their saying, I will absolutely never reach out and talk to them ever again, no. but I, I, I wish I could remember what they said because – I don't think they they saw it happen, but they remember the chaos. Yeah. And I think that she was alive for a minute. Like, I don't think she died yeah. right away. No, she didn't. But she yeah. did and die so, at the scene. 
yeah, but sh- they they remember that. They remember, I think, hearing, like, the screams and they oh remember the chaos and the rush. Like, it was really fucking scary. And anyway, and so I know I just brought that down even farther than it could have possibly been. I know you're trying to keep a little light by not going no, into details. Not. But I remember just, like, because I remember bringing it up, like, because I get anxious and talk about things like disasters. Mm-hmm. And um and they were like, yeah, we were actually there when that happened. We worked there. That's where we met. So anyway, oh I just wanted to say that. Isn't that insane? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and like it's hard because it's like it's human error, you know, like they they've done investigations, but also like they redid the restraints after that. So like, yeah, it was also I think it was yeah, it was partially the lap belts where she didn't really do anything wrong. It's something that we've all done where, you know, you're in an elevator and you jump right when it gets mm-hmm. to the top so you can jump really far or you, you know, you're in there and then you kind of like lift up your butt so that when it goes down and dips like you kind of but it was just it was exactly the way you said it was the exact right way where it just physics wise she was just small and skinny enough to slip past the seatbelt and she mm-hmm. rise and basically by the time she started falling the roller coaster had already passed and she just completely yeah it was like the perfect storm, storm of events yeah it was it's really really devastating well the white roller coaster is the roller coaster that cured me of my fear of roller coasters so eventually after many years of going to Lagoon and crying in Lagoon roller coaster lines while my dad attempted to cure me of my fear by forcing me to just do it, um, he got me onto the white roller coaster because I figured it wasn't very tall and I didn't know about the deaths. So I got on it and I loved it. The white roller coaster is one of my favorite rides ever. And mm-hmm. it it really, it really soothed the thing in my heart, even though it's killed two people. So... And I mean, here's the thing, and I, I know you might already say this, but sorry, I'm on the creakiest chair of all time. Um, I know you might say this, but like as far as other amusement parks, Lagoon has actually had quite like not very many deaths. Yeah, like, it's a very safe park. If it was in Roller Coaster well. Tycoon, it would have an award for the safest park in the country, but for whatever reason. Anywho. Yep. In 1927, the first filtered pool west of the Mississippi was installed in the park. It held one million gallons of water and became an enticing alternative to swimming in the Great Salt Lake. Have you ever done that? Uh, No, I've gotten my feet in, but I never swam. Let me tell you, it's an experience. You come out smelling like dead fish, but it's like you just lay lay there and you float. Like, it's insane. It's Gross. absolutely it's a, but it's funny you kind of got to do it. I'm gonna make you do that with me at some point. I really I don't want to try it again. To, thank you though. It's, it's literally a, like it's, there's arsenic blowing off the lake at this point. Did you not read the New York Times article? Not good. Here's so here's the thing. Also, like from a historical standpoint, people used to swim in the Great Salt Lake a lot because it used to be a lot bigger. So Lagoon actually before it was Lagoon and before Homeboy bought it, it was a lakeside resort for like rich people to come and like just stay in hotels it was like basically a beachfront property to rival the great salt hair which was another amusement park that is now defunct obviously i went to a rave there yeah it used to be it used to be an amusement park allison i didn't get too into it but it was a whole thing and then the lake receded far enough away from this resort that they were forced to sell and the guy who bought eventually bought the land that lagoon is now on bought it from these people who lost because they're the lake receded anyway i that's really sad i did not know that yeah i did not know it went as far as Kaysville. yeah oh yeah it's huge refill lake bonneville let's do it 
Um, so 2022. As I was saying, the park also briefly featured betting and horse racing in the 1920s. But naturally, the Utah legislature wouldn't let anyone have any fun, and it was banned shortly after it began. Surprise. In World War II, the park was closed for three full seasons. By 1946, the park was in bad condition on the brink of permanent closure. The Bamberger family considered calling it a loss and selling the land. However, Ranch Kimball and Robert E. Freed convinced the Bambergers to lease the park to their newly formed Utah Amusement Corporation. Are you going to name your firstborn son Ranch? Absolutely honest? not. And then your Absolutely daughter not. Nacho Cheese. Oh my god, your two favorite things on this planet. <laughs> After your two heroes. I'm sorry. I'm going to stop interrupting you. Unfortunately, (laughs) when the corporation took over the lease of Lagoon, a Farmington town ordinance prohibited African Americans from using the swimming pool in the ballroom. By the end of the 1940s, Robert Freed had fully opened Lagoon to the black community. Robert was an integral advocate for the civil rights movement through be like through the 1960s and he was like a very outspoken member of the civil rights community in utah and he actually won some awards from the naacp in 1965 for his work in desegregating utah so cool guy props props fuck you early lagoon for being segregated but yay robert freed bob freed as he was known by his family and friends Um, also there's always this thing and I know that it's just like white ignorance on my part, but it is crazy to me to think of Farmington, Utah as having Jim Crow laws, even though like, I know that that is like a thing that it was rampant across the country, but like the way that I was sheltered growing up with like this concept that Mm -hmm. Mormons didn't believe in slavery, even though they did, like I, I read things like this and I still like can't square it. Even though we literally have a section of our state that calls itself the, like, Dixie State. At some point, it'll compute, but... In 1958, <laughs> a catastrophic fire struck the park, and a good chunk of the white roller coaster and carousel were burned. While swift repairs allowed them to reopen for the season, you can still see scorch marks on the carousel today. And next time we go, I'm absolutely going to look, because I've never ridden the carousel. I have hunted for those scorch marks, but I think it's been repainted so much. I don't know where they are. Rude. So we need to ask an employee. Yes, but like, do. I've heard that too. So the fire allowed the company to also add several new rides and their first themed area, Mother Goose Land, which now explains the weird ass shoe statues all throughout the kitty land. <laughs> In the 1960s, Lagoon became Salt Lake's hotspot for concert performances. Musical groups including Ella Fitzgerald, Beach Boys, the Rolling Stones, and the Kingston Trio and Johnny Cash drew the crowds to the bandstand. The Beach Boys made mention of the park in their song Salt Lake City on their 1965 album Summer Days and Summer Nights. These musical performances allowed the park to surpass the popularity of their main competitor, the Saltaire. During this time, an opera house was also opened and featured silent movies, drama productions, and more. I had no idea that Lagoon used to be so cool. No, me neither. And one of the other things that I read about um, Robert Freed is that he was given a lot of pushback for having black like band groups come. And so he would invite black performers more to piss off the local authorities. Fuck yeah. Love him. Good, oh, good work. I love that. Yes. But I, so I, then, I really, I had no idea how I know. big artists. Johnny Cash, are you kidding yes. me? Isn't that crazy? And I was talking to Brendan's mom the other day and she was telling me 
that she also like when like in like they would go there for concerts of like big names um crazy wow. so in 1976 lagoon expanded east by purchasing my personal favorite part of the park pioneer village an old west town complete with several historic structures that had been collected and exhibited in salt lake city's sugar house area since 1953 the buildings were moved to lagoon and the pioneer village railroad began circling the town there was also a lagoon miniature railroad which looped around the residential area of the pioneer village using an original miniature 12 inch gauge steam locomotive acquired in the early 1900s a log flume ride was bought from the defunct pixieland park in oregon and installed so this is a thing that i discovered while writing this parks buy rides from each other and just reinstall them which seems unsafe but like Colossus is like that. Colossus is a very old ride, but only came to the park in the 80s, even though it had been in operation elsewhere for a long time. We'll get into that right now. Colossus, the fire dragon, came to Lagoon in 1983 to huge crowds and great reviews as it was selected by People Magazine in 1984 as one of the top 10 roller coaster rides in the country. It was Lagoon's first roller coaster to feature inversions, which is the loop-de-loop, with a top speed of 55 miles an hour. With its double inverted loops, Colossus had the most inversions of any coaster at Lagoon for 32 years. Um, After this, the infamous swimming pool that was the biggest swimming pool this side of the Mississippi finally closed after its fifth decade of operation in 1987. This made way for the $5.5 million Laguna Beach water park, which was completed in 1989. Its construction spelled the end of the small-scale railroad operations in the Pioneer Village as some of the supports stood in the way of the track. So, a lot happened in the 90s. So, we're just going to run through it really, really quick bullet point style, all right? So, in 1999, Lagoon finally broke its 200-foot mark when it built the Rocket, which is my least favorite ride at Lagoon. And the only ride that I've never gotten over being terrified of are free fall rides. So I can't ride the rocket. I can't ride um, the the one in California Adventure that used to be the Hollywood. Like yeah, those are the ones that like slowly bring you to the top and drop you like the length of a skyscraper. I rode it once like three years ago, and I was like, I'm never doing this again. It makes no. me so sick. I hate them. No. <laughs> Awful. I will tell you that I become feral. On those rides, the noises that come out of my body when no. I free for all drop, and I, I hope it. that there's never a camera pointed at my face because no. I cannot. I'm never more unhinged than when I'm free falling through the air. Never, never so I get ever. It. They're fun, but I completely understand your hatred. Absolutely terrible. Then several of their very well known rides opened in the early 2000s, including the Spire or the Spider, an updated version of the Wild Mouse cliffhanger which is never operating when i go and oh, that's fun. they also um built samurai which is my second least favorite ride at lagoon i'd like it to be known i know that people oh, love that it the one that like go like whoosh, 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 yes whoosh, it like just swings like... you around as if you're just like a rag doll awful 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 so awful. fun so fun it's one of my favorites i cannot makes me so so i were good friends i wouldn't go in 2004, Lagoon also revamped their Kittyland area and revamped it from Mother Goose Land into Kittyland and kind of took it in this adventure theme. They added some Moab references to their rides and things like that to kind of lean into the whole Utah thing. 
In 2006, and you'll be like, Jessica, why are you telling us this? But I'll get there. In 2006, Lagoon expanded Kiddyland further by adding two new rides, Dinosaur Drop and Ladybug Bob, which are the children's version of the rocket. Now, continuing on with my villain origin story. My lovely grandfather took me and my siblings to Lagoon when I was in middle school, pre-me going with middle school for like the end of your trip. And he was also, like father, like son, determined to make me have fun on a roller coaster. And he sat me in the ladybug bop line trying to get me to go on this ride. And as like a 13-year-old, I sobbed, Allison. I was in line sobbing because he was going to make me go on it. And then my mom showed up and was like, what the fuck? Absolutely not. We're not making her bodily autonomy, blah, blah, blah. So I didn't have to go. When are but people going to stop realizing that that's not the way to get people to like things? No. forcing them to do things? Dads especially. <laughs> yeah. Like, I get the frustration of, like, you know because you've ridden them that it's fine. And if they just ride it, they'd have fun. My little sister also doesn't like roller coasters. And I think that she plays it up a little bit because, you know, it's a little bit uncomfortable. But I know because I've been her that if she just rides it, she'll have fun. So Disneyland was very difficult because, like, I got her to go on Splash Mountain which is the most terrifying ride at Disneyland. I love it's it. It's so fun, but it's so scary. But then she like Oh, because of the go. mannequins or No, because of that drop. That drop is insane. You forget how crazy the like slide drop is. It's so tall. And you're just like chilling in a log. Um but then she like wouldn't go on some other roller coaster that was like way less scary and I was like, "Ma'am." Anyway, so like I get the frustration, but also It's her bodily autonomy. It's my bodily autonomy. And luckily, Mama Nani was there to be like, absolutely not. She doesn't have to ride Ladybug Bob. Girl, Mama Nani. Mm. It was really embarrassing because I was like 13 crying in an amusement park. But, you know, further further proof. You're a practice baby. Yeah, exactly. I will stop it. I'm going to stop interrupting you right now. I'm almost done. In 2007, Lagoon built Wicked, which was its the very first of its kind zero tower launch co- coaster. I won't get into how it works, but basically there's a lot of magnets and physics. It was also really cool because it was the first roller coaster that they had put into this park that was like made in-house. So like they were, Lagoon was heavily involved with designing it. They used a firm that is actually like local to Utah, even if the parts are not built in Utah to design it, all the stuff, very, very cool. And it's a really, really awesome ride. And if you haven't been on it, I recommend. And let's see here. Anything else interesting? Okay. Talk about Cannibal at all? Oh, we're going to get there. We're at 2010 right now, Allison. Oh, forgive me. So in 2010, you know that giant Ferris wheel you can see from the road? Did you know that Mm -hmm. in 2010, they took that Ferris wheel down to repaint it? I don't know how that works, but they just took this giant ass Ferris wheel down and like put some coats of spray paint on there and then put it back up. So wait, they can't just keep rotating it? That seems logical to me, Allison, but no, they took it down. Obviously, I know more than they do as somebody who has never worked in ride engineering in my life, but clearly I'm like, we are right on this. Crazy. 
Crazy, crazy, crazy. So, finally, Allison, in 2015, mm-hmm. a new roller coaster called Cannibal mm-hmm. opened. Cannibal features a 208-foot elevator lift hill, a 116-degree beyond vertical drop, three inversions, and a top speed of 70 miles an hour. 70 miles an hour, Allison. I love it. It's so fun. So it is by far Lagoon's most popular ride. It is a very, very cool. It was also built in-house, so it is a one-of-a-kind ride. It was built by the same firm in Logan, Utah, shout out, that built Wicked. And it is, I don't think it is anymore, but it was one of the steepest drop hills because it literally goes negative degrees while you're on it. Did you know, here's a fun fact about physics Mm -hmm. that I know that you might not know, but you probably do. Did you know that... If they don't stop you at the top of that hill, the G-forces are would be too strong if they just let you go over without fully stopping you, that you would die. Your body could not handle the G-force. So if you are ever on Cannibal and it does not stop at the top and it just lets you keep going, you're about to die. Fun fact. I've heard that, but I didn't I thought I heard that that was like more like legend. Like, it was more of something to, like, scare people. Like, if you didn't stop, okay. you would die. Or, like, it would come off the rails or something. I was told this at Lagoon's Physics Day by a, phys- by, by a physics person. So oh, I believe you then. Holy shit. That's all. Well, Fine. I can't wait until the day where it doesn't stop and we just look at each other and we just hold hands and just accept our fate. Call it good. Call it good. I've got two more interesting things that have happened at Lagoon and I'll wrap this up, I promise. In De- on December 18th, 2021, so this was this December, four days after my birthday, a fire broke out early in the day at the Carousel Candy Shop and sustained mm. with the, and the candy shop sustained some significant damage. The fire rekindled that evening and subsequently destroyed the candy shop and the adjacent ride. A rebuilding procedure has begun and Lagoon will open as planned next this coming i mean it's open now so i haven't been yet but it's opened and it's fine but it was right next to the miniature bumper card ride and i don't know i haven't been yet so i haven't seen what they're they've done but the other interesting thing that has happened at lagoon in the last year is a man did die at lagoon last year because he got drunk and hung from the skylift and dropped i think 50 feet and died of his injuries a couple of days later the videos were very, very difficult to watch and um, maybe don't go to the park drunk because his poor family had to deal with a very public death. And Wait, so what exactly? So he did he climb? Oh, so he was oh my God, no, I remember this. So the they, ski they, lift. Yeah, so they look like ski lifts where they carry you from one end of the park mm-hmm. to the other so you don't have to walk. And he... I. Oh my god, I remember yeah. this. I do have a friend who was in the park that day, and they said it was absolutely, ter- like, terrible. That it was just, like, the worst day. Which, like, as you can only imagine, like, and, and they've done, like, a full investigation. There was so many people filmed it because it was just, like, so public. So they did for a while. Yeah, he hung for a while, and he couldn't get himself back up because he was too inebriated. And it was a whole thing. Um, and he did end up dying of his injuries that he sustained, but he, yeah, his name was never released out of respect to the family. 
but it was really I remember it being on social media all yeah, over me people's store like snap stories stuff like that don't maybe just be safe like all all of the deaths at Lagoon are people being like kind of kind of unsafe on rides and you can have fun and stay safe maybe that's all so anywho that is the story of Lagoon and mm. all of the fun little facts that I had about it I hope that you enjoyed it's not quite as interesting as a shark attack but I did learn a lot and it's a fun little piece of Utah history and it's definitely haunted I would love to go in the middle of winter I think that would be really fun but I don't think that they let you in the public but if anybody can knows, we go to Frightmares this year I've never been Oh my god, let's go. I have I'm a season pass holder of Lagoon. You always you always have been. Okay, I really want to go more. Let's go. I love it. It's so fun. Um, I'll literally go whenever because it's great. So if you or someone you love knows how to get into Lagoon in the winter, I would love to go and just like walk around. I think it would be so like cool. alone. Not like alone, but like I just think it would be cool to like go see it. Like there's something I saw a TikTok of somebody who must work there and they filmed Lagoon in snow and it was so eerie to see it empty. I it was just it seemed very, very cool. Now, I will say this is my one final soapbox and then I will be done. Lagoon's zoo, which I did not touch on, but I probably should have in the story, but I'm gonna touch on it now. Lagoon Zoo is an embarrassment to zoos. Mm-hmm. All I like hesitate to even call it a zoo. It's more of animals in cages. To give you any sort of context, the Tiger King guy sold the tigers that are in the Lagoon Zoo are from that guy. Not good. We 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 don't we don't fuck with the the zoo and those animals deserve to be saved by the Hogel Zoo, which is a rehabilitation zoo. And none of that. That's why we don't go on a train ride. Really, totally mistreat the animals there. It's really upsetting. We should probably boycott Lagoon until they do their thing, until they they get over that. But um, my season passes were a gift, so (laughs) I guess that shows you where my priorities are. But the animals there are very sad and deserve to be treated better. And Lagoon powers the bee. If you're listening, it really wouldn't be that hard to replace that attraction with something better and think about the land you could get. And I'm sure it's probably for some sort of crazy tax break. But like, what if you just put a church on the property and called it good? Like amusement park seminary. Yeah. I'll join the church of Lagoon if it means the poor tigers no, can find a home. If it means that like all those ostriches and tiny animals don't have to like be sad and shit all the time. All the time. Yes. And yeah, the thing is they keep them in small cages so that when you drive past on the little train ride, you can see them always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's good. really, and I, you know, when as a kid you go on it, you're like, great, look, I saw all these cool animals. But as an adult, you're like, yeah. I should not be able to see these animals because they should be in a tree somewhere I in know, the middle right? of the jungle. Anyway, um, so it. yeah, I, it's really upsetting. It's really sad. And there are resources out there. There are people that have been in the process of trying to stop that from happening Mm -hmm. so that's pretty cool but just that was great i was obviously i interrupted you about 700 times but i was here for that story from start to finish i love amusement park okay let me i love amusement park fatalities like i i love you know what i mean i love amusement it's interesting it's really interesting have you ever watched class action park no oh 
if y'all have not watched Class Action Park, the documentary, it is a journey and a half. I think it's on HBO Max. You can probably illegally stream it on YouTube. It is fascinating. I wish all watchers a very good watch. Well, anyway, um, guys, well, we will see you next week for another free two-on shots. And, of course, we will see you the week after that for Jess. Do you want to tell them what we're doing the week after? After our next three two-on shots episode, we will be doing Legends and Lore. And I cannot wait to get all witchy up in this bitch. Mm-hmm. Cheers, It's going to be so much fun. Cannot uh, wait. Well, guys, so. thanks for tuning in. It's been a delight. We loved having you. If you have any fun facts or entertaining stories about Lagoon or being attracted to women who have been bitten by sharks, we would love <laughs> to hear it. DM us. What's your villain origin story? What got What's you interested in what you're interested in now? Yes, exactly. Titanic. I almost did Titanic. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Boobs. Of that movie. Great. Also, also good. Doing really that's well. A, it's good. Good set. Good set. Good stuff. And don't bully your children in doing things that make them uncomfortable. Yep. Or else I'll put it on a podcast play. one day and pull Love you, Dad. you <laughs> through the coals. That's all I got to say. So, <clears throat> All right. See you next week, guys. Bye. Okay, bye.